are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Chapter number 8, let's read verse 22 and 23 together. 1 Kings 8, 22 and 23 together. Let's stay together. Ready? Begin. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hand toward heaven and said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee. I want you to read verse 28, please, 29 and 30. He begins his prayers. He stood there before that altar in verse 22 and verse 23. He said, Lord, there's no one like you. I think there's a pattern there. If you look at many of the prophets' prayers, before they began to ask God, and prayer is asking, they told God how great he was, how wonderful he was, how mighty he was, how powerful he was, how majestic is his name. There's nothing wrong with that. To let God know that we believe that all power is in his authority. He continues his prayer, verse 28, 29, 30, in fact, the entire chapter, but we'll just read these next three verses. Ready? Begin. Yet have thou respect unto the prayer key word that you're going to start seeing and begin to see in the the remainder of the text. Beginning in the next verse, we'll see after prayer, it seems like Solomon is negotiating with God. If this happens, will you answer and forgive? Or if this happens, I'd like to see those before the message tonight. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the Word of God. This morning we saw Hannah's life, a woman with a broken heart, yet she kept her promise year after year. And then she kept her promise in giving her son back. And she found comfort in trusting in Thee. And she found comfort in going to the house of God. And she found comfort in prayer. And she found comfort in faith believing. And now tonight as we look at Solomon, He's so burdened for his people, concerned as they perhaps would sin or he himself would sin. And he comes to them eventually with a broken heart. I pray that we'd learn something to help us on our pathway of life this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Verses one through seven, 
deals with the Ark of the Covenant, that which the church, the Old Testament church will call it, they had it in the midst of their assembly. I wanna just throw a word in about what's happening in verses number 12 through 21. They built a, 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 a temple. Prior to this, there was a tabernacle. The tabernacle was so important for the children of God. God always had a place of worship. He had Bethel. He had the tabernacle. He had the temple. And Jerusalem, and it was, that's how you had the Psalms of degrees, those 15 Psalms as they walked up those stairs up to see Jerusalem. And Jerusalem became the headquarters. The tabernacle was so important for every family. Three tribes were the north side of the tabernacle, in the front. Three tribes were in the south, at the back of the tabernacle. Three tribes at the west, and three tribes at the east. All the people of God centered their lives around the tabernacle. I'd like to challenge God's people. Before you do anything foolish, make sure you have a good tabernacle, a temple, that is a New Testament, a church. We fight in the Silicon Valley two things, perhaps like no other church. One, the haves and the have-nots. I'm talking about in the New Testament local church, the haves and the have-nots. The, have the haves struggle with more than the have-nots. The have-nots are those, and we have scores and scores and scores that are renting apartments and renting condominiums and renting houses and basically, potentially, may never own a house like a missionary, Brother Bertram. And there's that desire in this church constantly, I'm gonna move where I can buy a house, and I understand. And if you're gonna do that, make sure you have a tabernacle. Make sure you have a pastor as strong as this pastor or stronger, but not weaker. I'm so tired of people saying, we'll never own a house, we're gonna go buy a house, we're gonna buy a house, we're gonna, we're gonna give way, they don't like us, they don't believe exactly, then what are you doing? And then we have the haves. And the haves are the people that bought, and now uh, your equity is 50,000, 100,000, 250,000, 500,000, a million, and I hear it every day of my life. Do you know what I could buy somewhere else? By the way, do you know what I could buy with my wife somewhere else too? We are so wrapped up in having that we're willing to throw away the house of God. I know exactly what I'm talking about because for nearly 20 years, we never owned a home. And if God removes the house today, I'm still by the grace of God gonna pastor this church. Our hope is not rest, resting in a house. We'd, want, we'd rather have the house of God. That's for all these years, our largest, our largest expenditure has always been God's house. More than the mortgage. We made sure that God's house was our investment. We made sure that this was the place. And we, just, we don't, just the two of us, we don't need it that much anymore. We've got our kids grown, we've got our grandkids, most of them gone, 
Uh, we don't need this place, but I'm telling you something, when all the grandkids and all the kids are gone, I need this place. My wife needs this place. I need to see a group of girls like that, Satan that grew up here. I can trust Jesus. And that was just a, 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 a small amount of young ladies that could have come up here. Have a service like this. And here they have the Ark of the, God, of the Covenant, that Ark which represented the presence of God that moved with the people of God as the tabernacle moved, so the presence of God moved. They wanted God on their families. And then they had the house built, the tabernacle, the temple. And now they've dedicated the temple and preparing to dedicate. And the negotiation begins, and it's all by introduction. I'll get to my message, and it won't be very long once they get there. He says in verse 32 and verse 33, the first negotiation, if a man trespass against his neighbor and an oath be upon him to cause him to swear and an oath come before thy altar in this house, the house he's talking about is God's house. That's a word you'll see throughout this text. Then he says, God, hear thou in heaven and do and judge thy servants condemning the wicked to bring his way to the head and justify the righteous to give him according to his righteousness. God, if we trespass, will you forgive that? Will you take care of it? Will you help us? He says in verse 33 and verse 34, what if the enemy is coming? He says, when the people of Israel smitten down before the enemy because they've sinned against thee and turned again to thee, we sin, we turn back to thee and confess thy name and pray and make a supplication to this house. God then here in heaven forgive. Then he says, God, when there's no rain, look at verse 35, when heaven is shut up, there's no rain because they have sinned against thee. You know, I want you to understand God shuts the heavens in the Bible, it's the judgment of God. And when God sends fire, it's the judgment of God. America cannot continually sin against a holy God and get away with it. We are seeing the judgment hand of God. The Bible says, what if the heavens are shut up and we turn from our sin? Verse 36, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sins of thy servant and give rain upon the land. Then he says, what if there's famine and disease? Verse 37, if there be in the land famine, pestilence, that's diseases, blasting, mildew, locusts, any caterpillar, any enemy besieged, what prayer supplication is made of any man by all the people of Israel which shall know every man the plague of his own heart and spread forth his hands toward this house, then hear from heaven and forgive. And he says, what about, what about stranger in the people? And we pray toward this house, verse 42, hear thou in heaven. Will you hear in heaven? Then he talks about prisoners of war, verse 47. 
And if they bethink themselves in the land, whether they were carried captives and repent and make supplication unto thee in the land of them that carried them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wickedly and have committed wickedness. Verse 49, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven and forgive the people that sinned against thee. He's saying, God, I just, I just want, I want to know, will you, will you answer our prayer when we need rain? Against our neighbor, we answer our prayer when we've been smitten down by foreign powers. We answer our prayer when we become prisoners of war. We answer our prayer when we sin against thee, God. We answer our prayer. Verse 54. And it was so that when Solomon made an end of praying, all the prayer and the supplication unto the Lord, he rose from behind, before the altar of the Lord kneeling on his knees with his hands stood up to heaven, spread to heaven, and he stood and blessed all the congregation. There's so much attitude that goes into this prayer, telling God how wonderful he is, telling God what's on your heart, really what's breaking my heart, these things, I want these things happen. And then he gets up off his knees and he spreads his hands and said, oh, dear God, dear God, and he stood before the people and he blessed the people of God. There was one verse that we read. And that one verse displays the reality of man. You know, as I pastor people, and I think of names that come to my heart this week, I look at that face, and it's so, so sad. I've been praying and say, what can I do for that person? They're so sad. That person is young and they're so sad. Their eyes and their face look like it's just been wounded. And at a young age, just wounded. Dear God, what could my wife and I do for that sweet person? They're hurting. They've been hurting a long time. I wonder what the anguish is behind the hurt. Oh, they're in Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They love us. But there's anguish. Dear God, what, what about that person that's so wayward? God, what can I do to help that person get back in the fold? I dread those pages in my prayer journals. I look at those names that are so far away from God. God, what can I do for this lonely one? And what can I do? And that one represents so many. And what can I do for this one that's backslidden that represents so many? What can I do to help this person that's so critical? So, so critical. So, so hard to pastor. Lord, you know and, and there's not one, there's, God bless you, it's the greatest church in all the world, there's many. And sometimes I'm thinking, you know, Lord, it's more than ever. Why is this? God, is this, is this what you have for my life? Is this the way the 
remainder of the journey is going to be so hard to pastor people. And by the way, my prayer to God is like every pastor I know. They'll call and say, Brother Trevor, why? I've been here, someone says, 30 years, 35 years, 27 years, 28. I've been all these, and I've tried to be a good pastor. And it's just like, it's nonstop. I've got a dear preacher right now. I, I, I mean, he's on the verge of just collapse, I think. And it's just one of the great preachers in America. And he's a faithful man and been there for years and years and years and decades and decades of his life and poured himself. And I'm thinking, I don't know if he's going to make it physically. The pressure that God's people are putting on him. And then when we fail and we sin, there's a verse that Solomon throws in here that just spoke to me so directly. It's verse 38. Verse 38 says, what prayer as supplication soever be made by any man or by all the people of Israel, watch it now, which shall know every man, watch this, here it is, the plague of his own heart. Do you notice that all those other situations were about other situations, prisoners of war and other enemies coming and, and if these people sin and if there's no rain and all this, but, but what about the plague of my heart? I wonder tonight, have you ever taken time to think what is plaguing you? That it causes you to be so lonely and so sad. I'm plagued with this. I'm so angry. And there's something that is the plague of your heart that makes you angry or makes you sad. And if we're not careful, we accredit the anger and the sadness and the, 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 the hurt to someone else. But it's really the plague of our own heart. It's me. It's me. Not you. It's me. Recently, my good doctor that I've had for years, I, I've loved my doctor. I've witnessed to him. He's my dear friend. Every time I'd go see him, I'd always take him a gift. Sometime a, a gift card for this restaurant or that restaurant. I, every time. I'd take him books from that I'd purchased from publications. I'd take him coloring books for his kids. It just had such a wonderful doctor. And he left the healthcare system I'm with and opened up his own practice. So I was notified, you have to get a new doctor. I went to see this doctor and the nurse took me in and she sat me on that table and you feel like a little boy, you know, just, I mean, just, and she says, we're gonna take your blood pressure first. Oh man, I tell you what, that just spikes it right there. It scares me to death. And, and the first question she asked me after the blood pressure, and, and I couldn't believe she asked it. And I wanted to make a joke, and I got thinking, if, if I make a joke, she might take it serious. 
She said, do you feel safe? I said, excuse me? Do you feel safe? And I didn't know. I mean, there's the door, and there she was between me and the door. <laughs> you know, you never know, man. I tell you, I said, here? She said, no. And here's where I want to crack a joke, but I knew where this was going. She said, I'm talking about at home. <laughs> well, I had a lot of things rolling through my mind right there. I wanted to unload, but I think the police would be at the door. They're asking kids questions, all sorts of, they'll ask parents, and by the way, parents, you don't have to leave the room. Those are your kids. And the big thing is, you go to the doctors and hospitals now, they'll say, could you leave? We want to talk to your children alone. No. You're responsible for those kids. Don't let them put nonsense in their minds. And, Do you feel safe? Yes, I feel safe, but I'm not feeling safe right now. I'm getting a little irritated. But you know, in reality, I can't blame anything for anybody for anything. If I have anger, it's my fault. If I have anguish, it's my fault. If I have fear, it's my fault. If I have, if I have the plague of criticism, it's my fault. If I have the plague, poor old me, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm gonna go eat some worms. That's my fault. And tonight, as we are nearing closing. I come to you on this behalf in verse 38. Ladies, when I say nearing, don't put your shoes on yet. We're not that close. Which, no, every man, every man, the plague of his heart. I think it was in my class this morning or in church, his class. I, I can remember that day in 1962, I've told it to you so many times. We are walking home on the gravel, junior high. And, and the gravel, we had sidewalks, it was gravel. And my friends were throwing pebbles, not throwing them hard, throwing pebbles at the fella he was in eighth grade for probably the third time. He had a full beard he'd shaved. I can remember his name. He could have turned around and decked him. I never threw a pebble. I never called him names, but I was with the crowd that made fun of him. I'll never forget he crossed over that two little lane road and walked over here until he came to Barbara Dutra's farm. And the gravel and everything came to an end. He had to walk back over because then the PX store was there and then you go home to our neighborhood. And I'll never forget, we flustered him. And he walked out without looking. He walked in front of a 1962 Valiant and had those raised letters on the hood of that car. And when he was hit right in the middle of the street by that car, the thud, and he flew up somehow onto the windshield. He was trying to hang on and she stopped and the screeching, now cars don't squeal when they screech, when they stop, but the, the screeching of the brakes and the wheels locking up and he threw them off and he threw, was thrown off and laying face down. He lived, Bo 
both of his legs were broken. I don't know what 1963 is, 1962 from now. This is 2018. But that's a lot of years. It was the fall of the year. I remember, nobody wrote it down. I remember the jacket I was wearing. I remember, I remember walking. And I remember now there's sidewalks here, but the gravel. And I remember where he crossed over, and I remember when he crossed back, and I remember the thud and the screech. And I remember he didn't come back to school our freshman year. I want to tell you, it, for me, for me, it's a plague. I can't get it out of my mind. It's a plague. It, it, it diseases my soul that I was so unkind to a person. I've often thought when I ever give that illustration, I have several times in the last many years, I wonder if he would be watching right now, if he's still alive. I wonder if he'd contact me and say, Jack, Jack, Here's what happened in my life since that day. There are moments in my life that plague me. Things I said, things I did, things I shouldn't have done. If you have loved ones that have passed away, there might be regrets because of this conversation or this moment or this, this hurt that you caused that individual. And God says, he says here through Solomon, he said, if any man, the plague of your heart, the plague of your heart, what do you do when your heart has a plague? You pray. Verse 39, then hear thou in heaven, when I have this plague in my heart. The stance is how often you ever, ever have a plague of loneliness on the field, knowing you probably never, but you're human, you'd have to. I don't know how or when, but a missionary's on a foreign soil. We gather together with our family, as they probably do as well for Thanksgiving. It's different, I know. Would you on Thanksgiving next Thursday take our prayer page and lift up the names of those missionaries before the throne of grace? I was looking at a missionary yesterday from one of our graduates. They just arrived on the field of Mongolia. Mongolia is a very difficult country. Brother Bradley and Ashley Kubiak, it's a very, very difficult area. And there they are where there's not an openness to the gospel, but somebody had to go. I think of Brother Brown, who he and his wife just got up to South Korea and just landed there this year and they're new missionaries and away from home and family. I think of the missionaries out of our college and out serving God all over the place. I'll go to Hong Kong in my mind and see Brother Ao and his wife Elena and their, their three wonderful children that, for they're serving God there. I'll go from missionary to missionary and see them and think of the fact that it, they might be lonely today. They might be hurt today. They might have anguish today. They might have some loved one going through some real trial back home. 
And God says, I can pray for them. I may not even know the plague of their heart. Perhaps a pastor friend, I've got a pastor friend I'm praying for so much right now. I'm trying to figure out what could we do. He is in the midst of a project that uh, uh, the circumstances, I can't explain them all, what's happened. He's just got to get it done. He has to get it done. Perhaps someone's going to be watching and say, Brother Treber, tell me the money and, uh, and, and how much do they need? And I know you say, well, man, we need that money here. Well, maybe, maybe they need that money there. Maybe it would help that church. It's been a plague. It's weighted the pastor down. And because of that, his health has not been very good lately. And into the doctor and many times can't preach. My wife's grandfather, Pastor Ford, I've never talked to him, but he's a great man. I never met him. Passed away early. Passed away at age 63 in a major building project. And then everything in the 50s went haywire. And some people in the church got upset. In the midst of it, he had a stroke and a heart attack and died. It was the plague of his heart. He felt like I'd disappoint the people. What, what, what do you do? Some, some, of, some tonight perhaps will be awake tonight because you've got a son or you've got a daughter. It's the plague of your heart away from God. Pray, pray, pray. College student, don't quit college. Pray. Well, I don't like it. It's not like camp. Of course it's not like camp. It's college. K-O-L-L-E-G-E. Why aren't we a university? I have no idea how to spell university. I barely got college right. Pray. Notice what the Bible says. This person has anguish of heart. Pray thou, and then here in heaven, and dwelling place, forgive and do. Give every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. And for those only, not even thou, only knowest the hearts of all the children of men. He said, God, I, I want you to help me. In verse 39, he says, I want you to forgive. Sometimes the plague of your heart is you won't forgive yourself. Would you please hear me? You won't forgive yourself. That's where everybody's personality is different, I know. That's the struggle I have. When I know I failed someone, it, it, it eats my lunch. And God says, you're going to have to know that you can pray, and you're going to have to know that you can experience the forgiveness of God. Man may not forgive you, but you're looking for God's forgiveness. Some people all the time are saying, I, I'm thinking about committing suicide. You haven't experienced the forgiveness of God. Maybe in salvation, but you haven't taken it for whatever the plague of your heart is. That which is so wounding you and tearing you down and 
Maybe the plague of your heart is only known by you and nobody else. Maybe it's sin. And the sin, you know about it. I think of a good man and he sinned against his wife. She had sinned against him. But when he years later wanted to get it right, she left him. But I would say at least that man was honest with his wife. We don't like the consequences. We don't like what he's had to face all these many years now. And he's not a member here. But he has had to face the consequences of a lonely life because he did right. God, I'm so thankful, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So many people walk around with sin that you've confessed it a thousand times with the plague. Would you let God do heart surgery through prayer and through the acknowledgement of forgiveness that he has forgiven you? You're not going to stand before God for your sin, and neither will I. Our sins were judged at Calvary on Jesus Christ who became sin for us. We will be judged not for our sins, but for our works. And God will reward us for our works that we might receive crowns, that we might cast those crowns in the book of Revelation before the feet of the Lord Jesus and say, thou art worthy to receive honor and glory and power and majesty and dominion forever and ever. I find that when the plague of the heart go to prayer, when the plague of the heart Learn the forgiveness of God. And then verse number 39b, learn to trust in God's dealings according to his way. You see it there, according to his ways. Whose heart thou knowest, and thou, even the only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men. I'm glad that when no one else understands my heart, and when I don't even understand my heart, because it's so deceitful and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9, that he understands me. He knows my, knows my down sittings and my uprisings. He knows my thoughts are far off. He knows all about me. Jesus knows all about my struggles. And then I'd say, lastly in verse 40, that thou may fear thee all the days that they live in the land. God wants you to have fear. What do you mean fear? That's a reverence toward God. Psalm 19, Proverbs 1, a reverence toward God. And God doesn't want you to live with the plague of your heart. Unload that prayer. Unload that, uh, that plague through prayer. Unload that plague through forgiveness. Alone that plague, that know, knowing that God knows all about it. And it's removed as far as the east is from the west. I love that song we sang, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. Thank God for the blood. And then when we face the plague, fear God. Reverence God. Respect God. Trust God. 
If I had time, I'd give you the last one. I'll just mention it. Get to God's house. 21 times in this chapter, he talks about his house. So what happens when we have the plague of the heart? The devil says, you ought not to go to church. You're just a hypocrite. You ought not to go to church. You're, you're, you're covering that sin. You ought not to go to church. Look, look what you did. Look what your past is. Well, I'm glad, gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. When you need God's house, which is all the time, so why? Don't forsake God's house. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.